Stars, a podcast where we interview some of the world's most talented musicians and let them tell their stories about backing some of the greatest music artists of all time. Now here's your host, Brian Penny. So was that a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, tour over there in, in Europe for yeah, you? Yeah, we went uh, completely across the England uh, up into Scotland. Mm-hmm. Went to Glasgow, and uh, we had a day off. So CBS Records uh, got us a limo, and we just went riding out through the country in Scotland. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see uh, Loch Lomond because mm-hmm. Mother used to sing me a little song about Loch Lomond. Yeah. And so we went there. Yeah. And then we saw, we were out in the middle of nowhere, we saw this little pub. We said, well, let's go check that out. So we went in there, and I swear... Central casting couldn't have put people in there that looked any more appropriate. The guy, the guy and his wife on the little bar. Yeah, he had big old mutton chop, stereotypical uh, Scottish type people. They had never seen a Polaroid camera, which McGuinn had one. Uh huh. So we took pictures and everything, and had a few drinks. And there was guys in the back throwing darts. I mean, it was just like a right out of a Hollywood movie. It was really, that uh, but it was it was a blast. Fun, yeah. You know, yeah. things you just can't forget. Uh huh. Well, that's great. Yeah, and we, uh, you know, so we played all the big cities in uh, London. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edinburgh and I don't can't remember all of them. Now y'all were the uh, feature. We were act. the headliner, headliner yeah. in uh-huh. those, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. because of the fame fame from the McGuinn being in the birds, in the birds, and, yeah, yeah. And we did most, you know, mostly bird songs. Of mm-hmm. course, Roger had done it one solo album, right? Uh, right. So we did some of those songs, right? Plus, that, uh, yeah. then we did some of the songs that. Uh, that we did on on his album, you know, which uh, like a couple of them that I wrote and David wrote, so that was a blast and, uh, with him. Sounds like it was a really good time. Yeah, it yeah. was. It's and, not every day man gets to throw anyway, a fellow over the uh, fence, you know. It's not every. He day. kept us on a retainer for months, right? And then he called up one day and he said, "Look," he said, "Bob Dylan is doing this thing where he's going out with this uh, group." He said he wants me to come out and go with him, so he did that. And then a month or so later, he called us and said, I'm going to have to let you go. This thing's taking off, and Dylan wants me out here the whole time. So so that was over. Yeah. So that's probably, what, about 75, something like that? Yeah, about like that. 1975. Pretty pretty close, yeah. Okay, so where do we go from there? Well, from there... uh, I called up Henley and said, uh, you know anybody that needs a, a decent guitar player? And he said, <laughs> well, I heard that Dan Fogelberg's looking for one. Okay. Yeah. And so I said, well, great. So I got a hold of the people. Uh, his bass player was sort of the band uh, leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he, call, uh, he called me up and told me, he said, well, you said, now, do you sing? And I said, yeah, I sing. I can sing harmony singers. He said, well, what what kind of harmony do you do you sing? And I said, well, I can sing high parts, and I can sing middle parts, and I can sing low parts. <laughs> that ought to cover it. I covered it. <laughs> yeah. And so I went, and I didn't get the gig. Yeah. It, they hired this other guy. He's one of those, a great guitar player, but he's one of those guys that 
you know, he starts a solo and just goes into La La Land and plays whatever he wants to play. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want that. They wanted somebody that played the, the licks on the records. Right, right. And so after a couple of weeks, they called me back and said, we ain't going to be able to use this guy if you want the gig. So I got with Fogelberg. Yeah. And I was with him for a couple of years. Okay. And then uh, his band, Fool's Gold, his backup band, they were they were their own entity, and they had just cut their own album, too. Okay. Right. Now, unfortunately, they didn't hire me until after the album was cut. But uh, we we went out and opened for uh, Boz Gags. Yeah. Uh, we opened for... Uh, Loggins and Messina, their their farewell tour. Okay, okay. They, uh, we opened for them on that on the last day of the tour. Uh, <laughs> uh, our road manager, who was really good friends with uh, Loggins and Messina's drummer, mm-hmm. walks up behind him during their show and pie face and slams him with a, a, a the big you know, pie a big pie right in the face when he's playing drums well, <laughs> our roadie runs up there with towels and wipes him off real good and then then he then our uh our drummer goes back up there and wham another pie right in the face <laughs> well at that point i i was watching the show and i could tell that uh Messina was about to flip out. Mm-hmm. He wasn't liking that one bit. Yeah, and I knew something had to be done because the vibe had changed so bad. Well, I knew that their last song, they did "Your Mama Don't Dance," and they yeah. segued into "Splish Splash." I'm taking a bath. Yeah, all about a set, and then they would go back into to uh, "Your Mama Don't Dance," mm-hmm. and so. I was backstage when they started that song. Well, instead of steps up on the stage, there was a ramp. Well, there was still still some uh, pie pans and whipped cream back there. So <laughs> I proceeded to get down to my underwear. <laughs> I covered my entire face and head with shaving cream. I mean, uh, with uh, whipped cream. Whipped cream. Yeah. And, and I covered my underwear <laughs> with whipped cream. And I went running. As soon as they segued into Splish Splash, I went running up on stage, got right between Log and the Messina, and started <laughs> go-go dancing. <laughs> the crowd went wild. <laughs> they had no idea oh, you were coming. no. Nobody had any idea. <laughs> anyway, uh, they went wild. Uh, Loggins was laughing to himself to death. And Messina, I'm not sure if he ever got over it. <laughs> but, but it happened. <laughs> and it did change the vibe back to uh, yeah. a good thing. That's except, good, yeah. Except for everybody but Messina. Messina what? <laughs> uh, he so probably, was. He's probably still not over it. He's probably you? still not, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was. Uh, you should give him a call. You know. I don't know if you ever heard of the shaving cream man story, which was similar, except uh, uh, it was back when I was with Ronstadt. She relied on me to uh, provide her with entertainment after the show back at the hotel. That's mm-hmm. what, that's why she had heard these comedy songs that I'd written and yeah, vice yeah. versa and stuff. <laughs> well, we were in Washington, D.C. at this nice hotel, 
it was about and we we had gotten back and we'd been there from for maybe a half hour or so with the phone rings and it's Linda and she she nicknamed me Balloon and she uh said, Hey Balloon, do something funny. And I thought for a second, I said, Okay. I said, Get get the rest of the band together and y'all meet me on the elevator in ten minutes. So that happened. Well, in the meantime, I had gotten down and done the whole shaving cream on my head mm-hmm. and uh, my underwear, and I had a little blob here and a blob there. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I go down to the front desk, uh, and they stayed on the elevator, and I told them, I said, this elevator stays open or you die. <laughs> <laughs> so they were holding, and you could look out and see the front desk was off uh-huh. to the side. So there was just like by now it's three o'clock in the morning, and I have all this shaving cream all over me. And I walked up to the desk clerk who was facing the other direction, sitting down reading a book and drinking a Dr. Pepper. And I walked up behind him. I said, "Excuse me, sir." You know where a man could get a razor blade this time of night? <laughs> and you could see him thinking, you know, and he hadn't seen me yet. You know, he just quit reading and he took a sip of his uh, Dr. Pepper and he turned around to tell me for to get a razor blade. And he spit Dr. Pepper all over <laughs> All over the place. Well, I beelined it back to the to the elevator and back up. To, yeah. He that guy still don't know. What he happened. still doesn't know what he happened. He don't know what well, happened. Well, maybe he tunes into the podcast and goes. And so that's who that's it was. That's who it was. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Anyway, sometimes oh. I just can't help myself. Yeah. You know? you, you, Richard Bowden, you're just crazy. Yeah, I am. And um, it been a good way. In a good yeah. way. Well, I like to hear that. Yeah. yeah that's funny. And that's the, the, that's, those I, things are just funny you yeah know. i've always tried to, well you know. and i know i i don't want to interfere with this whole flow here but i do know where you got that from because <laughs> mr elmer bowden was pretty funny too yes and he was he was he had a great he, sense of humor. He, he and your mother did too yes she did yes, she did she was real yeah. funny she i remember was, one time after i moved back home uh yeah with her and we were sitting there in the kitchen and the she was doing something and just moving incredibly slow and uh, I made this comment. I said, you know, you kind of have to side along something to tell that the mama's even moving. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and, she, and with this look, and I said, you know, of course, I'm just kidding. She said, yeah, I know that. That's why you still got your front teeth. <laughs> <laughs> So she had a great That sounds just like her. That's, that sound, that, that's had, right. She was uh, that kind yeah. of lady. Miss yeah. Marion? She yeah. was a sweet lady. Sweet oh, lady. Oh, my goodness. Man, she used to cook for all of us. She, oh, thing, I bet but, she did. You know, that saying, build it and they will come. She uh-huh. said, feed them and they will come. Oh, amen. They she will. just loved it that our house was the hangout for all us guys. Yeah. musician guys and and our fans and friends well you know and you and you fast forward to you were you were gone and in la and i'm gonna tell you a little bit about what happened while you were gone yeah I uh, so to... i was here growing up 18 years later yeah and your daddy was still having those jam sessions yeah and they were every monday night yeah and every monday night i was there 
Yeah, I'm good. And uh, she was still cooking and feeding us yeah. and loved every minute of it. And I showed up first and I left last. There you and, go. Uh, I think my mother would have to call sometimes and say, is yeah. he still there? Miss <laughs> yeah. Marion say, he's fine. He's yeah, fine. Yeah. And we yeah. would, we would uh, so we yeah. had such a great time. So that, that tradition that you grew up with, yeah. they kept it going. They kept it going, and, uh, I know. Yeah, yeah, they influenced a lot of us, but in a very great and positive way always. Yeah, that's for sure. He was, he was Mr. Supportive, I'll tell you. If it had anything to do with music, he yeah, was for it. Always yeah. for it. Yeah. So here we are. Let's say we're about 78 from my research. You formed your own band um, mm-hmm. called Blue Steel. Yes. Uh-huh. Tell me about Blue Steel. Well, uh, like, like I said, I'd uh, attempted to do that group with Sneaky Pete. Yeah. And, uh, and that didn't ever pan out. So my buddy, Leonard Arnold... It was in a bunch of great bands down in Texas. He decided to move out to L.A. And uh, where where I was living at the time had a separate apartment above us, and it was vacant, so he moved in up there. And uh, I went in the studio, uh, was recording some of my songs, just to have some songs demoed, you know, uh, that I'd written. And I got Leonard to come play on it. Uh, Don and Glenn sang background vocals on on these cuts, and mm-hmm. uh, and just me recording those uh, those songs kind of got me inspired to put another band together. Especially since Leonard was out there, and he was such a good guitar player. Yeah. And then a friend of mine that I'd met at North Texas who had gone uh, to Europe with the Air Force for four years. He came back and called. He landed in New York, picked up a Rolling Stone magazine, and started reading about me and Henley and Ronstadt and stuff like that. So he called my mama and got my number. And I said, Come on out, buddy. His name was Howard Burke. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And I said, We'll get you in the music business. And uh, he came out. And before you know it, he was Jackson Brown's tour manager. Mm. And after that, he was. Warren Zevon's tour manager. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then uh, when I started to put this band together with Leonard, and uh, I got him in the band, and then we found a bass player and a drummer, and that was so. Burke was a musician, also. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. What did he play, Richard? Uh, guitar. In okay. fact, he's got one of my first guitars I sold to him. Uh, a, a Fender Esquire, which is a Telecaster with one pickup. It is, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, he had it re. I bought it in Dallas, and some guy had painted it with a spray can. Blonde neck and everything, keys, everything had been sprayed with a, a spray can. And I took paint scraper and scraped off the as much as I could, but I never. It, it kind of looked neat after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I sold that guitar to him, and he had it redone, I mean, perfectly, like a brand-new guitar. Yeah. And somebody at one of the clubs in Dallas had damped it with a, a stamp that said Saturday. I guess they had Friday night and Saturday night stamps or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And so that's the name of the guitar, and it's remained even after, you know, he had it completely re- redone. He still calls it Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so he still has that yeah. instrument. Yeah, and then uh, he ended up, uh, before he retired, he was the sound 
front of house sound man for Little Feet. Okay. So yeah. he, you know, once he got to L.A. and we got him going in the music business, you know, he had all these great gigs. Of course, now he's retired. Yeah, that's great. We, we got a lot of people in the business. So. What's I it? say a lot, you uh, yeah. know. Reagan Watson, you know. Mm-hmm. From he, here from Lyndon, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, you know, he toured with Linda. He toured with Sleep at the Wheel. He toured with the. Uh, Amy not, Lou Harris for a long time. Yeah, was yeah. he not with uh, John Denver as well? Yeah, maybe? that was his last gig with yeah. John Denver, and tried. John tried to get him to move to Colorado and just be forever his guy. Right. And Reagan didn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he yeah. Be back in Linden. We may have to uh, sit down with Reagan sometimes. Yeah. I, oh I bet man. he's got some great oh, stories. Yeah. I bet he does. He has some really good ones. Yeah. yeah. I bet he does. So Blue Steel. Now, what did did y'all tour? Uh, open. Yeah. Well, for different uh, acts. What did you? Do? I did. I, uh, our first album uh, came out. Uh, we got with this production company, and there was four guys, and uh, uh, they put this thing together, and uh, we did our first album, and. Uh, I called up Don, and they were fixing to do the long run tour, and I said, man, how about letting us open? So we yeah. opened for the Eagles on the long run tour. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, ha- halfway between the tour, our record company boss got in the plane with his secretary, flew to London, Told the pilot to keep it running. They were just going to go eat lunch mm-hmm. and then fly back to the uh, USA. Mm-hmm. About a week later, they showed back up at the airplane. And I got a call and said, your record company has folded. Mm. And he called me. Naturally, I was in the shower. <laughs> all soaked up when yeah. he called. And, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm reading them the riot act. Uh, you know, saying, you know, what in the world is the matter with you, man? Uh, I was very upset with this guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we ended up getting a, another record deal on Electra Asylum, mm-hmm. and we recorded it uh, uh, in the fall, and they, the record company decided they were going to wait till January to put it out because it was a better time to release. Well, by the time January rolled around, the guy that signed us, the A&R guy, was not at the record company anymore. The president of the record company was not at the record company anymore. We didn't know anybody at the record company. Right. It had all changed hands. And so that that album's sitting on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. So that uh, is not – I remember Blue Steel, and I had a Blue Steel album called Nothing But Time. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that the first album? Uh, or is that the one you're talking about? Gosh, <laughs> I'm fixing to have another senior oh, no. moment. I didn't. I, so <laughs> I you did two records, yeah. with Blue Steel, yeah. yeah. Oh, we yeah. did. So yeah, I had I had one of those. It was called, I believe, it was called Nothing But Time. Yeah. Some, well, that some that's good songs on that album. Well, Howard, the guy I'm talking about, that mm-hmm. went to the Air Force. He you know, when he was Jackson's tour manager, him and Jackson wrote that song, Nothing oh, okay. But Time, together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's why uh, yeah. we we used his song on that so, album. So I know everybody listening is probably thinking what I'm thinking. So what was it like being on tour with the Eagles? Oh, it was great. Uh, some stuff I can't really talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Kind of get close but, to it. No, Can you it get was kind of close? You know, 
of course, uh, we knew all those guys anyway, and uh, and uh, they were all very cordial to us, and right, and it was fun, you know. Uh, listening to them will get warmed up and stuff mm-hmm. in their dressing room you know they would they would always do uh uh seven bridges road mm-hmm. in in the dressing room to warm up and stuff right and uh oh gosh you know this is like being being around the beatles as far as that's concerned yeah. uh, except you knew everybody you know <laughs> <laughs> and, but the crowds were uh, probably intense oh and yeah i mean you know these those were all big Ten thousand seaters or bigger, right? And I, we did pretty good, but uh, uh, what happened when when the first uh, uh, record executive went to you know took his uh, secretary to Europe and ruined the label? Well, we lost our bass player and quote sort of lead singer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we got the bass player from America, the group okay. America, yeah. David Dickey. Uh, came in to, uh, for the second album, and uh, but like I said, you know, it just never, never got off the shelf at uh, right. Electra Asylum. Well, you know, talking about y'all being out on the road with the Eagles, I would imagine that you and Joe Walsh together could be quite a pair. Oh yeah, Did, we. Is there any shenanigans that you can talk about that you and Mister Walsh might have had going on? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, me and Joe. Uh, well, let me start over. The Eagles, after every show, had a party in the hotel oh, banquet yeah. room. Right, they, yeah, yeah. It was called the Third Encore Party. Okay. And uh, the the tour manager guys, would, there was these little buttons, pins, mm-hmm. that said 3E. Well, that stood for Third Encore. And they would go out in the audience and pick these gorgeous women and say yeah. would you like to come to a party with the eagles after the show here's mm-hmm. your button yeah and tell them where to go mm-hmm. well you know so uh at those parties me and joe were always the last ones to leave <laughs> and one night we were in this big banquet room and all the lamps were like bus white busts of caesar or chopin or you know all right. these famous uh, legendary people were the lamps. Mm-hmm. Well, he gets out his magic marker, <laughs> draws, puts mustaches and stuff on all these <laughs> lamps, <laughs> and then he picks his TV up and he's heading toward this window. Well, I run over there to the window and look down, and there's a Mercedes convertible right smack under the window. Oh no. And he got over there. I said, Joe, you can't do that. You're going to run somebody's life. Yeah. I said, don't throw that TV out and own that car. And so I talked him out of that. <laughs> but in one end of the banquet room, I'd opened this door to see where it was. It was this huge uh, closet, and then mm-hmm. it was empty. So I said, here's what we can do if you want to do something. We put everything in that banquet room in that closet. <laughs> and I mean, floor to ceiling, and I was just having to lean against the door to get it to, to shut. shut. So we figured, you know, our joy was just knowing what the maids were going to do when they came the next morning to <laughs> clean up that room, and there was nothing in it. Nothing. <laughs> 
And if they opened the closet, everything was going to tumble out. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, oh, we did goodness. that in lieu of ruining a Mercedes convert- well, convertible. I, I, I guess from the stories you hear, you didn't talk him out of enough. Cause uh, think- no, he, he tore up a lot of stuff <laughs> tore up a before lot of stuff. I got with him, yeah. <laughs> But I used to do crazy stuff like I I carried a hot glue gun with me on on the road, mm-hmm. and one night uh, one night uh, this is when I was with Fogelberg, uh, the uh, drummer picked up the Avis girl when we flew into town, mm. and he had her with him after the show. Well, they went directly to the room. Yeah. Well, I hot glued him in the room. <laughs> Uh, you know, the beauty of it is that you're not damaging anything. Right, right. But anyway, he just had to beg me to let him out of the room. He <laughs> said he had all the tiles tied together and around the doorknob with his feet against the wall trying to get the door open. He couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I finally said, okay, I'll let you out. And you can just peel that hot glue off, you know. Yeah, uh, but it won't give way when you're pulling on it like no, that. No, no, right. That's uh, <laughs> So I did crazy stuff like that. Every now and then, I would glue like a, a chair and a wastebasket with an ashtray and ashes in it, uh, and glue it to the ceiling. Yeah. You know, in a motel room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just when people I don't come know. in. The maid comes in and goes, yeah, the maid. And then there's the a world? chair and an ashtray and a little table all sitting there with a cigarette and an ashtray. <laughs> I did some crazy stuff like that oh, and, and dressing up and shaving cream and whatever. Well, Richard, sounds like you've had a lot of fun oh, out on the gosh, road. Yeah, it a was lot all, of fun. Uh, you know, I couldn't believe the checks kept clearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad they did. Man, I appreciate you being with me today. You know, I know from this point where you uh, – where Blue Steel had its run there and kind of yeah. ended. Then it wasn't too long after that you kind of made that transition uh, to Nashville. Right. And, and I, I know that was uh, – you give us a little bit. I think we may come back and because that's where you begin your career with Pinkerton Bowden. That's true. I would and, love uh, to come back. Yeah, I want to come back and talk to you. So you, you left and headed towards Nashville, and mm-hmm. one of your old friends up there kind of got you hooked up yeah, with, well, with songwriter well, Sandy Pinkerton. Yeah. Well, the, actually, Jim Ed Norman, who was the the keyboard player in Shiloh, yeah, he had got into production and was producing demos, and then he in L.A. Mm-hmm. and then he went to Nashville and started a publishing company, and then he ended up being the head of Warner Brothers Nashville. Yeah, right. Oh, so he's the one that introduced me to Pinkard. He said, "I'm gonna put you two guys together because y'all y'all gonna do something I know." Yeah, and. Uh, so we started going in and to his publishing company and trying to write songs. And, you know, we'd get there about 10 o'clock in the morning, put on a pot of coffee and just sit there with our guitars and throw ideas around. And anyway, one of, one of those days I said, you know, let me play you a song that I wrote and, uh, that uh, nobody would ever record. But anyway, it's kind of a funny song. So I can't remember which one it was now, but I did this song. And it put him in the floor. And he said, well, let me play you one. <laughs> he grabbed a song, and he played a song called Woman With A Gun. Yeah. And I got me in the floor. And we looked at each other, and we said, why don't we just put together, like, uh, 30-minute songs, 30-minute uh, set of these stupid songs 
then we can play in some of the clubs around Nashville for our friends just for just to conquer boredom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'd already discussed and not, you know, we weren't we weren't doing this to get a record deal or anything because mm-hmm. we'd already been that way. You know, uh, I've always said having a record deal uh, is the, the only thing worse than having a re- record deal is. I mean, not having a record deal is having a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we were just playing around there and making people laugh, and all of a sudden, the head of Warner Brothers at that time, this was before Jim Ed got the gig, mm-hmm. uh, they, uh, uh, Bowen, Jimmy Bowen, who was head of the label that uh, Shiloh was... Uh, no, wait... Uh, 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 yeah, Amos Records. He mm-hmm. was the head of Amos Records. That right. was the Shiloh album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, he was the head of Warner Brothers at that point, so he signed us on, and then uh, we cut a record. And uh, and then one day uh, he called us up and said, y'all come go riding with me. And we got in the car with him. He said, well, I got some good news and bad news. He said, I'm leaving Warner Brothers. That's the bad news. He said, the good news is your old buddy, Jim Ed Norman, is fixing to take my place. So that's how that happened. And uh, and, uh, all of a sudden, we had a record deal, and uh, Warner Brothers was putting us out opening for Hank Jr., for Crystal Gale, for Eddie Rabbit, all these country acts. And we decided that if we wanted to call ourselves comedians, that we needed to cut it in the comedy club. So we got a hold of a guy, and, yeah. and he put us out in the comedy clubs, and that's where we were. Pinkerton that. Bowden was born right yeah, there. Yeah, oh, we that's were, amazing. We were officially comedians. Well, let's uh, let's do that. Maybe let's right. come back. And you know, if we if we're fortunate, we might even be able to get Sandy Pinkert on the phone or something. Yeah, I'm sure. And we, we might just have a little visit sometime. I think that would be fascinating. Okay. And probably, I'd be. Rolling in the floor, yeah. Uh, pro- during <laughs> that right. particular conversation, no doubt. So that might be something fun to do. Well, listen, thank you very much for being hey, with us. I'm glad to I'm do. Glad it, you were I'm having a good time. Well, I appreciate you. You know, I appreciate your family. They were yeah. always sweet to me, and I, I love them so much. And I appreciate you. Um, it's once again just absolute privilege to have you with well, me. Thank, thank you for you, being man. on appreciate backstage it. with the Troubadours. All right, thank you, Richard. <laughs> All right, buddy. You've been listening to Backstage with the Troubadours, a podcast about great music and great musicians with host Brian Penny. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.